Hey, I'm Michael Dorinda. And I'm Jake Bennett. And welcome to episode 139 of the North Meet South Web Podcast. Chicka chicka chicka. Hey, everybody. I uh, don't know if we talked about this last week or not, or two weeks ago, but we have got a guest today for the first time in quite a while, I feel like. It has been a while since we've had a guest. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Len Woodward. Len, welcome to the show, my friend. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me here. Yeah, absolutely. So I met Len at uh, PHP Tech in Chicago, and um, he works with a, a buddy of ours, Ed, and uh, Ed always comes down to our Laracon Bloomington meetups. And so that's how I know Ed, Ed Grosvenor. He's Ed, I, I think Ed has written a couple articles on Laravel News before, and uh, he's just an all-around good dude. But Len works with him a bit, and so that's kind of how we got to know each other. And um, Len is working on some interesting open source stuff and wanted to give him a chance to talk about that a little bit today. So that's what he's on. Uh, that's, that's why we're having him on. But Len, before I give away your entire profile and biography, um, wonder for people who have not met you before, if you could just give us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, what you're working on. Right. Uh, so my name is Leonard or, well, professionally Leonard. It's easier to say than Len because everyone <laughs> tries to call me Glenn. Um, <laughs> nice. Yeah. So I live about 45 minutes outside of Vancouver. Uh, I got a wife and a kid and another kid coming in about 15 days. So life's going to get crazy. Wow. Did not realize it was that close. Yeah. Yeah. We're getting close. We, um, it's going to be a scheduled C-section and we're kind of hoping for July 11th. So he gets free Slurpees every birthday. Dude, there you go. That's a solid, that's a solid goal right there. Yeah. 7-Eleven gets some wife. free advertising. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, you need to tell your wife, hey, we could get that thing scheduled on the 11th so we can go get some free slushies. Free slur- slurpees? Slurpees. They call them slurpees, don't they? It's interchangeable. Okay. I think they bring, I think, so like, I think the general term, it's it's sort of like um, I have uh, tissues, like facial tissues or Kleenex. Yes, they are interchangeable, but I think slushies is the generic term, and I think 7-Eleven calls them slurpees, I think. Gotcha. I think. So that's so what, that was like Nintendo having to. <laughs> that was like Nintendo having to protect its trademark. Like yeah, every sure. console could not be a Nintendo. Right, right. There you go. Exactly, exactly. So, um, how long? So I know you said you've been working with Ed, or you have. I know you've done, and you actually have a background in a couple other things too. I know that. Um, I think it was Jason Mercury was talking about you. Helped him with like do some tiling or something like that. Like you have some background in uh, some other items, but you've sort of made the jump over to development full time in the recent past. What's the story there? Yeah, so um, I kind of started with the whole website thing in high school, like everyone would. They uh, they just do a little bit of HTML, CSS, dabble in JavaScript. Then I started dabbling in PHP when I needed just a little bit more functionality. But exactly out of, same. Yeah, and then out of high school. Um, I didn't really realize you could do that as more than just a hobby. So I kind of fell into the family business and I ran a construction company for 15 years. Um, I was still always working on the web stuff um, in my spare time, though, just like making tools to help us run the business and to help keep things organized and to automate certain processes. And um, then eventually I realized like, I'm working way too many hours. I'm not <laughs> spending enough time at home. Like I feel like my time with my kid is getting stolen from me. And um, so then at that point, um, I'd been really active on tech Twitter for like two or three years. So I, I had people that would kind of recognize my my avatar. 
And I decided I'm just going to shut down the construction thing and go full-time programming. So I started putting my feelers out there. And um, yeah, it was actually Yaz that um, that pushed me to really take it properly seriously. He gave me a couple of contracts. I set myself a hard exit date. And um, that was, what month are we in now? This is June? Yeah, yes, so that June, was June. Yep. That was about uh, 15 months ago that I finally okay. fully shut down the the construction gig. And I guess that makes it about two years since I've been taking on paid clients for, for writing code. Man, good old Yaz strikes again. Yeah. Is, Yaz in, is, is Yaz a Vancouver guy as well? Yeah, he lives, um, he lives pretty much between where I am and Vancouver. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I didn't even realize that. Like I only found out because I bought some stickers from him and they got lost in the mail. And so I touched base and <laughs> he was like, really? How can they get lost? It's like 30 minutes. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah, hilarious. when I realized how Sounds- close he was, we, uh, we went out for pizza and yeah, we just kind of geeked out for a while. He asked me if I wanted some contracts. Sounds like the um, Canadian Postal Service is a bit like the Australian Postal Service. I had a <laughs> someone I know was saying they had their new computer, which was built and then shipped from China to Australia, you know, door to door in seven days. They had some other stuff shipped from Norway or the Netherlands or something like that, and it took um, seven days. And then they had some small package shipped to them from two suburbs away, and it took five days. Because oh these gosh. things, they That's typically whole, go so from funny. like yeah. the sender to a depot to like a sorting facility to a different depot and then they get confused for some reason and it goes back to a different depot before it eventually gets delivered. So it's there's like a couple could have of... literally walked it there by the time right. it got, yeah. you know, there's, got um, delivered. There's a, couple of, there's a couple of delivery centers in the, in the east or sorting facilities in the eastern states where things, you know, if a package goes there, it adds an extra three, four days to <laughs> delivery time. Just who knows? And it was like yeah. that before COVID. Just just weird things happen over there. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's um, I don't know. I don't ever ship. I feel like I don't ship stuff ever. You know what I mean? The only time mm. I ever ship things is when I'm returning something. Um, that's the only time I ship stuff. And even then, dude, I have a package that's been sitting in my garage for the last three weeks maybe two weeks that I have a return label for that I still need to return. I still, I just have to slap the label on just it and just like it. put it on the front port. Yeah. I just don't want to do it. It's just it's stupid. <laughs> so um, anyway, in this, yeah. In this run up to, um, to baby boy getting here in a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. we, mm-hmm. Um, because Allie's going to be using the, the crib, it's like convertible into a toddler bed. So that's what she's going to be on. Yeah. We, we ended up, we're buying a bassinet for, for the kid. And, um, we got sent four of them. <laughs> nice. <laughs> as the, those on Craigslist. As, as somebody trying to tell you something? Yeah, exactly. Are they trying to tell you something? Like, hey, um, yeah, go and by the get way. a vasectomy immediately. Do not be like Jake. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I got a date with a laser beam as soon as this one's done. <laughs> That's right. There you go. <laughs> but I think um, Dude, going through the checkout process, it kept saying, like, something went wrong. Try again. And so we mm. did. Ah, and so go. I think we've actually been properly billed for four of these, right. too. Oh, gosh. So, yeah, now we just got this extra thing to deal with. Yeah. They didn't have a good state machine implementation in that case. <laughs> That's just Nothing's bad. event sourced. No events. So- yeah. Yeah. The, here's the funny thing. Like for me, like when I'm doing these things, um, so are, have you worked at, have you done anything like proper event sourcing wise? No, I just listen when Daniel rants about it. Yeah, that's right. So he's building his own package and stuff with event sourcing, right? 
Yeah, he's got yeah, some very be... strong opinions about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he has very strong opinions about just about everything. I'm pretty sure. He 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 forms the strong opinions very quickly, and if he doesn't have one, he'll form one on the spot, and it'll be very it'll be very strong. Uh, you know, as soon as he <laughs> thinks about it, it's like he's hilarious, Daniel. I need to catch up on that podcast. I, I um actually I was talking with Jordan Brill the other day, and he was telling me about that how he's becoming he's doing his own event sourcing thing, and and that he started his own agency too. So anyway, that's pretty cool. That's pretty interesting. So hey, anyway, should we talk about what we're here to talk about? Let's do it. Let's talk about some whiskey, shall we? So yeah. we were talking whiskey. Or we were whiskey. Talking a, whiskey. whiskey. I, I prefer whiskey. Whiskey. Um, and also, um, there is another debate about whether it should be spelled with the E or not. So this is spelled, the package you have is spelled W-H-I-S-K-Y. Now, I can't remember if it was J-Mac who was advocating for an E in there or if it was just we were giving you a hard time. I don't remember. It no, depends was, on um, where the whiskey comes from. <laughs> does it? Okay, I don't know. I, I don't know. But yeah, it's so it looks Scotch whiskey, Canadian it, whiskey, no e, no yeah. e. Okay, it looks weird. It looks weird to me as I'm anything. Anything that comes, I think typically any any whiskey that comes from sort of North America would would typically be with no e, and anything that comes from Scotland, Ireland, that kind of stuff would have would have the e in it. So the good stuff has the e in it. And and the other stuff has no E. Okay, so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna make another package called a whiskey with a <laughs> E, and then I'm just gonna confuse. I, I'm gonna. I'm actually. It's gonna be a troll. <laughs> Anybody tries to get that package of yours, and I'm just. It's just gonna be like, haha, You spelled it. You know, you spelled it correctly, but you got the package wrong. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Just uh, this package has been archived. We suggest this one. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Um, so let's let me intro the package here. I'm just going to talk through exactly what your readme says, which is that whiskey is the simplest framework agnostic CLI tool for managing and enforcing a PHP project's get hooks across an entire team. So let's talk about this real quick. Two things. Number one, get hooks. So what are get hooks? Do you want to take a shot at explaining to me what those are? Yeah, it's um it's kind of funny how it ties into the other stuff we wanted to ta- talk about too, all these lifecycle hooks and different things. But uh, when you're running Git in the CLI, you're going to have certain actions and you might want to do something before or after that action. And so if you're going to be making a commit, you can set up a script that's going to run pre-commit and post-commit. And so the pre-commit hook, probably the most popular one, and then pre-push would be after that. Um, You're going to go through and you can just like run your linter, um, run PHP stan, you can run your test suite. You can do all sorts of stuff like this, but the Git hooks themselves are basically just bash scripts within a hidden directory. And so what I've set up Whiskey to be able to do is instead of it delegating things to to Laravel, I'm just having a Laravel command in Laravel 0 um, install this little one-line script, and it's just going to go and ask Laravel what commands to run. And it can point to just a simple terminal command, or it can point to to an entire script. So if you've got like a Ruby script, or you've got a Python script, or you've got something written in Rust, you can run any of those for any of these hooks that you want. But to be clear, this is for a PHP project, right? So is Laravel zero dependency of your of the project if you're wanting to use Whiskey? No, I compile it just into its standalone binary. So the gotcha. only dependency for Whiskey is PHP 8.2. Okay, 
Okay, gotcha. And so uh, traditionally, you know, people who wanted to use Git hooks, one of the big challenges was, like you said, it's it's um, sort of stored away in a hidden directory, and it is not necessarily pushed up with your version control, right? And so one of the difficult things has been, okay, I have a particular set of hooks that I want to run for a project, but it's not easy for me to share those across the team. In fact, if I want my entire team to run the same things, they're going to have to go set it up themselves, right? Is sort of the problem that we that we dealt with before uh, Whiskey, or that's one of the things that Whiskey is attempting to solve. Yeah, that's exactly it. So, so the idea here is that you have it's 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 typically stored in dot git slash hooks, right? And so since it's not included in the git tree, um, you can't pull it down when you're you know when you're cloning the repo down. So where does this um, store these hooks exactly? Yeah. So when you install whiskey, well, you require the the binary, and then you do uh, whiskey install through the the vendor directory. And then it's going to create a whiskey.json file in the project root, and that's going to have an array where you can disable certain hooks. But then it's also going to list out the hooks that you've got active, and then you can just list everything out in there. Uh, when you install whiskey, it's going to go into your .git slash hooks directory, and it's going to create that hook if it doesn't exist yet. And if it does exist, it's just going to append one line to it where it will go and ask whiskey, what should I run right now? Gotcha. And so, so if you've got multiple team members on, each one of them just does whiskey install. It'll install those Git hooks. Yeah. And then from then forward, anytime you update your whiskey.json, it's automatically going to get updated for everyone. Nice. That's awesome. Very cool. Um, so for me, this would be great because I have... So Style CI is what we use to do a lot of our linting and style checking. And it works well. Uh, I love that it actually works across both PHP and Vue and you know just regular JavaScript stuff. And it's I don't have to configure it locally. I can just sort of say, "Hey, cloud, you do your thing. Please run your run your stuff." Right, and that's wonderful. And every time I push up something to GitHub as a pull request, it does its linting and you know commits directly to that branch, and it's fine. It's also super annoying though when I go to make a push. And then a minute later, I have to make another push and I have to rebase because mm-hmm. style CI has pushed something in between. And then it's so I rebase and then push again. And then I have something else I'm committing and I push again. Or, you know, ideally, I would sort of group my commits up and then push them all together. But this happens more often than not, right? That I have to rebase just because there's a stupid style CI thing. So the good news for me is that style CI does have a CLI tool. It'll read my style CI YAML file um, inside of my repo and it will apply those rules as it's running the command line. So now what I can do is as a pre-push git hook, I can say run that style CI configuration, make the changes that need to happen, and then push it up. So I don't have to worry about any of these style CI conflicts that I'm getting when I'm when I'm trying to push things multiple times in a row. So that's sort of the the benefit here, right? Is that um, it doesn't mean that you that you don't use uh, continuous integration scripts. You you still can. It just might save you some time in the long run, right? If you if you don't have them. Uh, configured to run in CI, you could just run them locally, and that works fine, and that's all good. Uh, but you could also use them in coordination with uh, with existing existing things that you have in your CI pipeline as well. Yeah, we still keep everything in CI, just as double checking, sanity checks, all of that sort of stuff. But what I do have set up locally, it's not usually going to commit the changes for the the linter. It's just going to test that it passes, so it'll deny my commit. If I um, if I don't pass that, and then I can go through, I can see what was done, 
um, because one of the issues that I was having was when I'm running my linter and then something fails, if it tries to lint it, if I've done partial commits, like when you're going and just applying specific hunks out of files, then it's going to lint the whole file. And then I've got a, um, a git add staged command that I would run in there. So it restages the exact same files that were just linted, but then it stages the entire file. Gotcha. Yeah. So instead, okay. if you just test it instead and just have it deny the, the thing and say, no, your commit failed because you didn't pass in your, your hook, then that's going to end up being a little bit better and you get a bit more control over it. And really, that's up to you, right? You can make it do whatever you want. You don't have to do it that way. You could commit it probably, right? But you're just saying, it seems like in your experience, it seems like this is a better route to go. Yeah, I mean, it depends on how you're merging. Um, because if you're merging, if you're one of those people that wants like a perfectly linear Git tree, everything is properly rebased, and all of your commits that go into a PR are getting merged into main, then you want to be able to do partial commits. Um, if you're just a squash in, squash out kind of guy, then it's me. not going to be an Raise issue. Hand. That's me. <laughs> Michael, what kind of guy are you? Are you squash in, squash out kind of guy? Or are you a uh, push everything onto master every commit? Uh, no, we, we squash our PRs. And do you do anything with Git hooks? Do you, do, you, do, you, do you have any pre-commit stuff? No, pre-push? No. no, I am. I mean, I don't worry too much about style stuff because I have my editor set up to to like run pint on save. So... Ah, it's never really style stuff, but there will often be, you know, static analysis triggers and things like that. So it would be nice, you know, most of the time I remember, but it's always the time that you don't, that you push up some code and then you've got CI blowing up because, whoops, you've got, you know, an unused or a typo variable or something somewhere. So, you know, using this as a pre, pre-push safety net so that you don't burn those CI minutes, basically. And that's really all it comes down to. It's not so much that it failed and then it's some catastrophic thing that you need to deal with. It's just saving those CI cycles for, yeah, totally. you know, making sure that the the changes are actually correct, not not that, you know, you miss something in terms of, you know, s- static analysis or, or code style or something like that. So, But I wouldn't do it on every commit just because it takes... It it take yeah you you know you don't want to run git commit and then you've got to wait sixty seconds for static analysis to run or pint. We've got some weird issue with pint at the moment where it gets into like an infinite loop and eventually, uh, what do you call it? Has a a seg fault. <laughs> so, oh, but it only only fine. happens on local machines. In CI, it runs fine, but there's there's something weird going on with with our repo. So we've got to specifically you know run CI on the app directory or wherever we've actually changed code to to sort that out. So. That's interesting. I was going to ask, I don't know if Pint has an option like this, um, but uh, Pest does, right? Where you can say dash dash dirty. I think mm-hmm. it'll only run the tests on files that have changed, which is really pretty cool. So in that case, that would sa- that would save you a lot, right? It's it's not like you're asking yeah. your developer to run the, the unit tests across the entire thing. You're just saying for the ones that are affected here, let's let's change these and, and or, you know, let's test these ones. Um, so I don't know if Pint has a similar option like that or not. I can't remember. I um I looked into it, but what I the solution I ended up coming up with was a pint staged uh bash script. So it would just um it would use the git CLI to print out a list of all of my unstaged files and then it would only lint those. And then if it failed, it would commit uh, it would recommit those after linting and then 
and then do it. The um, the issue that we ran into with that one was that all of our generated IDE helper files were then also getting linted each time. So I was ending up with these like 800 line diffs. <laughs> oh, fun. Dude, I had a freaking beastly, oh my word, a rebase the other day. Michael, you mentioned the other day you were saying you had some developers that tried, they screwed something up royally with like some merge. I don't know really, what they did. You said you basically really, had to abandon it. Really, oh really. But yeah, they, I'm not sure the specifics of what was done. But by the time it was brought to my attention, there was 3,800 something commits in this PR. Oh my gosh. And I, I, I said, there has been 10,000 commits in the entire history of this repository. There is no way that you have 3,800 commits in your pull request. And I don't know. I think when they were pulling, they were not merging the chain or they were not rebasing the changes from, because we had two developers working in the same feature branch. And so they're like pushing and pulling and then like rebasing master. And so, you know, history keeps getting rewritten, but they're not pulling the new state. And so it's going, oh, this is all new. And so they're just like spending hours at a time resolving conflicts. So in the end, I went through the entire, I spent the better part of a day on it, went through the whole thing, got it all back to working and I squash merged that to master and I said, start again. (laughs) It's not, look, if you push code into GitHub and you suddenly see the number of commits balloon, stop what you're doing and ask for help because you don't want it to get out of hand. So yeah, it was not, not, um, not much fun. Yeah. I had to rebase. I had to rebase like three times the other day. I don't know how it happened. I really don't, but I literally had ended up having to fix the same code like three or four times. And it was Mm -hmm. very frustrating. Very, very frustrating. Oh, it was the worst. I was accidentally responsible earlier today for having to teach the intern how to force push to main. Ooh, yeah. That's a fun one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We were, um, so he'd had a whole bunch of changes go in and I was trying to show him. So we were mobbing at the time and, um, and we had to get him to start his own branch and we were experimenting on this. And so we ended up making all the, the changes and everything. Uh, we thought we were on a different branch. And so we committed, showed him how to do a whip commit, push it up and track it. And then we realized that we were on main. So I had to show him how to like get reset soft head tilt a one then get branch dash C feature branch, and then get switch dash to go back to main, get reset hard, head tilt one, and then force push, and then go in so, back to his other thing. I've actually, I, so I followed all that except for the get switch. I've never used this before. Somebody told me this the other day. What does get switch do? Um, it feels like it's just a fancier way to use git checkout um, mm-hmm. because it just allows you to switch between branches. So if you do git switch dash C, um, then it's going to create a new branch and switch to it. We go get switched dash. It's just going to go back, which I think get checkout does anyways, but don't quote me on that. If you just say get switched dash, it goes back to the last branch you were on. Yeah. Oh, that's super handy. Actually. I need that all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was like, so, you know, sometimes I'm like the same deal. I'm on a weird branch. I'm like, oh no, that's not right. So I get, get stash and then get check out, you know, or get, you know, get, get check out main or whatever, uh, get pull and then get switch dash would get me back to that other branch. That's super handy. Yeah. All right. Same as doing a CD, CD dash. It will go back to the previous directory so you can bounce between directories the same way. with. I didn't know that was the thing either. I didn't even know this. 
T-I-L. Yeah. So like we're talking about we're talking about the minus sign, right? Yeah. Yes. Yep. Like dash. Okay. Yep. Not like uh-huh. a long. Okay. Not yep. like a. Not an M dash uh, or an N dash. M dash. Thank no. you. Okay. Just just a, like yep. dash. Okay. So that's sweet. I did not you know, know to this. Go go back to the previous thing, right? So for CD, it's previous directory. For for Git, it's to you know switch. And I use it all the time. I think I've got Git switch just alias to switch, and so I can switch branch name or switch dash to go backwards and forwards when I'm. No, oh, I was in master. Or I was supposed to be in master to do this thing, or I'm in master was reviewing something, and I was supposed to switch back to a branch. You know, same as you. Get that's get awesome. Dash, switch dash. T-I-L. Yep. Today I learned that the dash and it saves you having to, to the previous file. Yeah, it saves you having to scroll up in your terminal to like what, yeah, what branches exactly. I want, up, 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 or up, up, you know, control yep. R or whatever, and you know, to go and find it, you just bang straight away. And so, sometimes our PR names are annoying. Like sometimes our PR branch names are annoying. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, uh, I use like GHPR list and then it'll be like, show me the, li- and then I GHPR checkout and then the number instead of the long branch name. And so, yeah, I use that all the time. Such a great yeah. tool. Oh, it is. Yeah. The GitHub CLI is pretty amazing. Yeah. And there's actually PRs um, and stuff from there is really nice too. There's GH, there's a, like a plugin that gives you a dashboard of, of all that stuff as well. So you can do GH, yeah, GH dash. Right. And it shows you, you know, all of your pull requests, anything that you need to review, anything you subscribe to. Um, yes. Oh and my that's gosh, not, I totally forgot about this. Not just for your branch. I think it's just for, you know, your overview as a whole of everything, really. Yeah, it shows you all of the different repos. What's the command for that? GH. It's a, it's a plugin. Dash. Yeah, it's a plugin. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's really, it's pretty incredible. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, we yeah. use a lot of the um, the GitHub CLI. We wrap a whole lot of that functionality too. So we've got like a we've got an artisan command where if you just pass it like artisan issue with a number, it'll look through all of the issues in that specific repo. Take that issue, pull it down, create a uh, a new branch, add an empty commit, push that up, open up a PR, and then the body of the PR is resolves issue number. So mm-hmm. everything's oh, nice. already connected. You can it assigns it to yourself. Like it does a whole bunch of that stuff, nice and automated. It's nice. is that just an alias command or what is that? Uh, no, we wrote it in um, as an artisan command. Oh, gotcha. So we got and a whole like bunch a globally of stuff installed that artisan command. Uh, no, just for that repo. Ah, okay. Yeah, okay. so we've got within this one repo, we've got like app slash concerns slash developer tools, and then we've got some commands within there. And then that's where we've got this command for um, the new issue. Sweet, share it out, share it out, share it out there for for me and for all the folks. I'll, I'll we'll put it out there. Um, hey, so we've talked a little bit about uh, whiskey, right? Whiskey. And I don't know, if Mike, whiskey, Michael. I don't know if you have any questions on that or if that all makes sense to you. It seems like it's pretty straightforward, but cool. Too. Yeah, I mean, the issue with Git hooks for me has always been the sharing between yep, you know same. between your team between machines between environments so if you know if you can kind of solve that issue using this package then then i like it yeah that's exactly what it's meant for the um the only hurdles i'm having to jump over right now is um directory separators and windows yeah so um it doesn't work on windows right now it gets pretty angry don't worry about it who uses windows (laughs) who uses windows anyway (laughs) the if you're using yeah if you're using windows you should probably be using wsl yeah, so I'm trying to make it work on Windows. Um, I'm trying to make it work with a global install. I'm having trouble um, uh, yeah. uh, determining um, like file paths, depending on that. 
Because mm-hmm. whenever you try to use like the app path helper or whatever within Laravel zero, if you've compiled into a binary, app path just points to that binary. And it doesn't matter ah. if it's installed in the vendor folder or in your global composer. So yeah, that's a bit messed up. Got to work on that. And then just a few quality of life things. I was thinking of having it automatically register every single possible Git hook so that if you're in your whiskey.json and you add in a new Git hook that wasn't previously being used, um, you need to reinstall so that it registers uh, that new I Git see. hook. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. But some of these good hooks work in weird ways where they actually take parameters. So I got to look into these and just figure out what makes the most sense. Gotcha. Ideally, it'll so, be the lowest friction possible. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, keep that um, Laravel-esque experience, right? Everything feeling really great for the developers mm-hmm. out of the box. So speaking of uh, of hooks then, right? And so you had a life, or life, you had a life cycle hook. You had a Laravel news article last week that we read. Uh, I think it was last week. Maybe it was two weeks ago. I think it was last week. Talking about lifecycle hooks, right? And so after reading it through another time, it made a little bit more sense. Um, what Michael didn't say is that the time he published me reading it through was the second time I read it through. Thank you, Michael, for helping me not look like a total fool. Um, so, <laughs> so it's an interesting pattern, I think. And so you know, just to talk it through here for people who who weren't listening on the other one, the idea is that you had an action runner command and you were running through a bunch of actions. And what you wanted to be able to do is you wanted to be able to contextually call different functions at points in the execution of that action runner based on where you were running it. And it's not necessarily just based on where you were running it, but you wanted to have a configurable hook that you could add in uh, that would run after each job, right? And you could do the same thing as a pre job run as a post job run, you did like an in between job run. But the idea that you did is you essentially had a fluent method. I don't remember what it was called. It was like add post job hook or something like that. And that fluent method would accept a closure, you would then attach that to the action runner just as a property. And then after each one of those jobs ran, you would invoke that command or then invoke that closure if indeed there was something to invoke there, if it wasn't just null, right? Is that the basic premise of the of the pattern? Uh, kind of. So I've abstracted some of these things away. Um, so within the action runner class, this just takes a list of the actions through which we want to execute. Every lifecycle hook that I've made is just a trait that would get used on that class. So the in the example we used on progress. So the the fluent method that you'd have is you'd you'd invoke the um the action runner through the container just because that helps with testing. You can mock it in your test and whatever and just assert that certain things were called. But you um you get it through the container, you chain on on progress and send it a closure, like you were saying. Um, but then within the the action runner, you can just call the call on progress hook method. And you don't need to do any sort of ifs or conditionals within that because the call on progress hook, that's going to determine whether or not there's something to run. And so then that runs the closure. And wherever you're calling your action runner, you can tell it on progress, I want to do this, or I want to do this, or I want to do that. And then you can add other lifecycle hooks as well. It's like, like on after complete or something like that, or on before mounted. So a lot of these patterns I got from from working with Vue and specifically Vue three, 
So you can call each of these lifecycle hooks as many times as you want. And you just tell it what to do every time it calls it. That's very interesting. Yeah. The fact that you abstract it away, I think, makes a lot of sense uh, because it's not really that complicated of a trait, right? It's well, I say that it's maybe that's a naive statement, but it seems like it's it wouldn't be too terribly difficult um, to extract out to a trait and then just apply it selectively if you wanted to. Yeah, it's actually a lot simpler of a trait than you might initially think, because it's a trait that just has a property and two methods, and one uh, to set it and one to invoke it. Yep, one to set it, one to invoke it, and then the the property to store the the closure, or it, it just defaults to null. And um, so every time you make a new lifecycle hook, um, I haven't really found a good clean way to abstract it any further. So you basically just have to copy paste and then just do a find and replace with your new hook name. But it's all super easy, and then you just include the traits that you want for those hooks and you call them. Here's the one other question then. So that closure... Does it does it receive any properties from the action runner itself? So in the example, the only thing we're passing it is a string that's determined within the action runner. But what I would prefer to see as the implementation is um, within the action runner, you have a like a, an action context model or or mm-hmm. class, and then you would have fluent methods to be able to change uh, to add things onto that, like action context, arrow, start, action context, arrow, get current execution time and stuff like that. So you could add Mm -hmm. a whole ton of context and then you pass that entire context object to the callback. And then wherever you're calling that, wherever you're using that lifecycle hook, then instead of just having like a simple one line um, short function, you can take that arrow, um, you can take that whole context and you can really do some crazy stuff with it and get really in depth. Yeah. Yeah. That's super. Yeah. That's really interesting. I'll look, I'll be interested to hear um, what sort of other uses you find for it. I know you guys use a lot of, uh, you guys produce a lot of videos and things like that. And some of those things that you were talking about, and, you know, for example, the FFmpeg, that library that you also talked about on Laravel News, and we talked a little bit about at PHP Tech. Um, some of those things are quite intensive as far as like how much time it takes to build out these particular things, right? So in the case of your situation, you have this action runner that needs to run all these time intensive jobs. And so it would make sense that you would need things to be able to do in between each one of these, you know, jobs that are getting run or, you know, at the beginning or at the end, hey, once these are all done, then do this particular thing. I suppose some of that is also solved with like the job queues and job batches, Probably, right? So So I think you can do sort of after items on job batches. Yeah, so I'm not batching any jobs. But um, so the way that I'm doing this, I think I might have shown you this at at the conference, but we've got, we're generating a video and there's going to be a little introduction clip and then there's going to be a series of highlights. And then all of that gets concatenated together. And so what I've got happening is I'm dispatching one job that's basically then an entire job dispatcher. So it goes through, uses a really fancy hashing type thing to see if if the code has changed, if the model data has changed, or a few other things. Comes up with a, a hash for it to see if anything needs to get re-rendered. Anything that has to get re-rendered, it dispatches a new job for that and then locks the and then locks that specific asset on our S3 bucket. 
And so then this job keeps going through. And if it sees a lock on any of these objects, then it just releases back to the queue another minute from now. And then once there, once nothing needs to get rendered and nothing is locked, then it dispatches the whole job that goes through and concatenates everything. So this whole job that I'm doing ends up taking in total about 25 minutes. Oh yeah, that's forever. <laughs> and then we've got a vapor queue limit of 15 minutes. So having to separate it out was something I had to do anyways. But then you've got all this stuff happening. And where does the output go? So what yeah. I so what I had to do is within this action runner, when it's running on vapor in the queue, I want it to just log these on progress messages so that I can go into vapor on the dashboard and look at the queue logs and I can see exactly what's happening. But if I'm doing this same thing through my CLI, because I've got it set up to do the exact same thing locally in the CLI, I just want it to go to my CLI output. So yeah. that was the cleanest yeah, way sense. for me to change it. Yep. Yep. And that was pretty clear in the uh, in the article too. So for those of you who are listening, if you're wanting to see like real code examples of this, you could check out the Laravel News article on this one as well. So yeah, good stuff. Yeah, we um, earlier today or yesterday, we actually found another application for this for our specific app too. So we're going to be able to oh, nice. generalize the action runner and we're going to be able to start using it to generate all these PDFs. So we've got a few PDFs that we have put together and then we've got jobs that combine them in certain ways. And then we send them off to the FedEx print API but the FedEx print API takes a shitload of time. So <laughs> we're just sitting there waiting for a response to the point where we were timing out for the user. So instead, we're going to be dispatching these things to the queue. And then we're having to do this with a number of different documents. But again, we just want to be able to get that input coming back. So if we're doing it on the CLI or in Vapor, we get that input. We're using the exact same pattern, almost using the same classes. If I can uh, move some things around, we'll probably just have our one action runner class separately. And then we've extracted out our action list builders. And whether we're doing my video stuff or we're doing Ed's print order stuff, it just sends its own action list in there and it does everything else on its own. So it's kind of like this architectural bottleneck that like turns the whole funnel, the whole data funnel into like an hourglass. So you've got multiple different sources and actions that you can come from. It all goes through the action runner and then it goes out to all its different sources. And it's just really nice watching that thing work. That's awesome. Yeah, it's art, right? Art in motion. I was talking to somebody today. They were like, they were talking about how, you know, programs, it's programmers, it's a bit like uh, we're artists, but we find art in like symmetry and like mathematical sort of like, you know, precision. And and so like that idea of that you're talking about, we're taking this complicated problem and then like you've got this wonderful solution now and it's like ah oh, so satisfying to like watch it work and you know it's like gonna work every time you know uh that's pretty cool hey um i was going to give you a chance real quick to like plug anything you'd want it to you know it's, how, how do people find you on on twitter where where can people find you uh on github all that stuff uh yeah twitter and github my handle is just at project gopher and project is spelled with a k instead of a c because i'm okay. a special snowflake <laughs> and um yeah aside from that it's just len at projectgopher.com it's all um it's all the same all the same awesome. handle on a, on everything very cool well hey thanks len for coming on today man it's been it's been fun chatting with you i'm sure we could talk for a lot longer about all these things you know it's hard to condense into you know 30 minutes what you've probably spent you know 
80 hours uh, working on and, you know, in the time that you've been working on it. So thanks for taking some time to explain that to us. And uh, for whiskey, I'm excited to see um, if there's something we can, yeah, whiskey, if there's something we can use on our side and uh, maybe even make some suggestions for things, some things too, as we use it, I'm sure. Michael, anything you wanted to include before we want to wrap up? Uh, Only thing was that Pint does have a dash dash dirty flag. Nice. Which is actually documented in the whiskey. Read me. <laughs> oh, shit. Whiskey. Did I put that there? <laughs> I am look so that clever sometimes. <clears throat> I think... Yeah, there it is. I think, Pint's dirty. Dash, dash, I dirty. Think, I see it. I think maybe J-Mac worked on that a little while ago and, and added uh, it in there. Um, oh, so, you yeah. know, you're right. You're absolutely right. I do remember that now. So he yeah, probably, put, he probably made the thing. pull request to uh, add it to the, uh, to the readme or something. Mm-hmm. That's funny. Cool. That's all I got. All right, everybody, thanks so much for hanging out with us. Episode 139. You can find show notes for this episode at northmeetsouth.audio slash 139. Uh, rate us up in your podcatcher of choice if you can figure out how to do it. I recognized last time we were on the Laravel News podcast that it's actually very difficult to figure out how to leave a rating. So if you can, if you can leave a rating, we would very much appreciate it. Five stars would be awesome. And uh, hit us up on Twitter at Jacob Bennett, at Michael Dorinda, at Project Gopher, or at North South Audio. All right, folks, till next time. Thanks so much. We'll see you. Bye. Let's do it.